Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very, very excited about the guest that we have today. So someone that has been around the block quite a few times on every single perspective that you can think of as an entrepreneur, as an author, as a speaker, as an employee as well. So without further ado, Guy Kawasaki, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Good morning. So you were born in Hawaii, Guy. Yes. So how do you end up studying at Stanford? I went to a, I went to a public school, uh, you know, K through six public school, and one of my elementary school teachers told my parents to pull me out of the public school system because I had too much potential and get me on a, a more challenging, faster academic track. So my parents listened to her. They put me in a private school. From that private school, I went to Stanford. And you know, looking back now. I don't know how I got into Stanford because I certainly couldn't get into Stanford today. <laughs> but, but you know what? It was Alejandro. It was so long ago that back then Asian Americans were considered an oppressed minority and they needed extra help. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. And, and after graduating, actually, you go into law school and and I believe that I, I read that you only lasted about a week because yeah. the professors were not being so nice to you. They were trying to remake you. So I wanted to ask you here, what lessons did you learn from rejection? <laughs> well, well, they didn't reject me. <laughs> or, or maybe you felt that way because when people are telling you stuff that it's not nice to hear or I mean, I, I think I read that they kept telling you that you were crap or something crazy yeah, like that. <laughs> so. I guess what I learned from that is just because you quit once, that doesn't make you a quitter for the rest of your life. Many people, I think, you know, they have this fear that, oh my God, if I quit one thing, if I quit ballet, if I quit taking language lessons, or if I take, quit playing lacrosse, you know, then I'll quit the next time and the next time and the next time, and you know, pretty soon I'll be homeless and I'll be a you know total total failure, and. You know, my experience is sometimes it takes more courage to quit than it is to stick it out. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't mean you should go and quit everything willy nilly. But I think there are times in your life when you should quit. Of course, of course. So then after this, you actually went to do your MBA and yep. and you started doing a, a little bit of, of counting diamonds at the <laughs> Nova. 
And yeah. I think that here you learned one of the most important and, and most vital things in, in your career, which is uh, selling, right? So, yes. so why, why would you say selling has been so vital in, in your career, guys? Because in the real world, you know, not the internet world where everything is an A-B test, in the real world, if you're breathing, you're selling. I mean, you have to, you have to sell the person who's checking you into the airline to let your extra bag be free and put you in first class in an aisle seat. And you have to sell it, you know, and yeah. when you apply for a job, when you want a promotion, you have to sell your product or your service. You're either making or selling Absolutely. <laughs> every day of your life. Absolutely. And that's, that's completely true. After a uh, guy, after you went to Eduware Services yeah. and you got a job uh, after that, after that experience of working for Eduware Services, you got a job at Apple. So yes. what, what year was this? This was 1983. Oh my God. I believe the, uh, <laughs> I believe that Apple, yet? no, no. I mean, I, I believe that Apple at that time was like 50 cents a share. I mean, what a, what a ride. Yeah. Well, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wh why did you leave in, in 1987? I left in 1987 to start a software company. Basically, I was the Macintosh evangelist, and I started believing my own hype. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And what was the name of this business? Uh, ACIUS. It was the American version of a French company. Got it. Got it. And and what 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 was the trigger of this uh, company? I mean, how did you incubate this idea? Well, the company was creating a Macintosh relational database that Apple was going to publish. And then Ashton Tate, a database company back then, put the pressure on Apple not to publish it. And so Apple was, you know, tearing up the contract. And uh, I was so upset about what Apple did that I decided to leave with the product and start a company with the other founders of the company. Got it. And what, what ended happening with, with the company? With AC, uh, IUS? Uh, you mean what, what happened after yeah, like what board? I, I, I mean, believe it I believe right. it still exists today and it's still selling Macintosh relational database. That's amazing. I actually went to the website and I was like, wow, I can't believe that this is still up and running. It's, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. And and I think that right after this is when you actually started writing and, and speaking and the and the rest is history because how many books have you written so far? Believe it or not, I've written fifteen books. I I I don't believe it either. <laughs> wow. I, when I, listen, when I wrote my first book, this is in 1987, I thought I was done, that I had nothing else to say for the rest of my life. Right. So it's pretty amazing. Wow, <laughs> 15. I mean, I've written one, and I think that that's enough for the rest of my life. <laughs> I can't even imagine 15. That's amazing. And you're actually launching, if I understand right, your latest book today called Wise Guy. Is, yes. this, is this right? Yes, it is literally launching today. Wow. So what is this book about? This book is about 25 bucks. No, this book is about, <laughs> it's about the stories in my life that have shaped my life and taught me lessons. So I, I, in each case, I tell a story and then I explain the lesson and the wisdom that I learned from this lesson. So it's not uh, it's not an autobiography or a memoir in the sense that I'm giving you a total chronology of my life, you know, from the moment I'm born to today. I, I, I skip around a lot, and it's organized by subject, not by 
uh, a timeline. And yeah. you know, this is this is not the kind of book that's going to be made into a movie. Okay, I mean, it's not like I came over to America in the last helicopter out of the uh, U.S. Embassy in Vietnam, and you know, the U.S. Navy dropped me off in Vallejo, and I, and I had to work at Seven Eleven, and I saved all my money, and yeah, you know, I went to a college, and then I got lucky. You know, it's not that kind of story that you're gonna see in the oscar presentation um i had a very nice you know lower middle class upbringing i didn't have any abuse i didn't have to overcome any drug addiction or anything this is just kind of a stories of my life kind of like chicken soup for the soul only it's all my stories got it got it and, and that's from uh, jack canfield or who wrote that one yeah, it was Jack Canfield, yes. Oh, good stuff. And and on this book, you're tackling the uh, personal and also the business aspect. So it's like the, the two things at the same time, right? Yes. Uh, there are many things about business, you know, innovation, my experiences at Apple, uh, selling, evangelism, social media, speaking, all that kind of stuff, because there's a lot of stories, because, you know, that's my identity. But I talk a lot about values and parenting and sports and children. Got it. Got it. Got it. Really cool. Really cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to to reading it because I have been a, a big fan and, you know, with books like The Art of the Start and, and things like that, you know, like the they are all recommended reading for for founders. So um, especially for the ones that are listening. So so talking about um, founders and, and, and going back to your uh, own journey after this uh, experience of a C-I-U-S, yeah. you go on to launch your next venture, which is Fox City Software. Is that right? Yes. So, so Fox City Software was a Mac software company, and we made an email client. Uh, and it was a small company, and we just tried to create really fine Mac software. Um, Got it. Another talk, fun project. You talk very highly of your, of your co-founder. So how did you meet them? At Apple. Uh, and, and Will Mayall, who's the co-founder you're referring to, I met at Apple on the on the ACI-US self uh, relational database project. And we've been best friends to this day. Wow. I mean, you definitely met a lot of people at Apple, even your wife. <laughs> yes. Apple has been very good to me. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So what was the, what was the outcome of this uh, company? What ended up uh, happening? We, we sold the product to Claris, the, the software division of Apple, and I don't, I don't, you know, we kind of finished it, and I mean, it's not like I made a billion dollars off of it. I, it was a nice, you know, we're still all friends. I mean, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that being all friends is, uh, is critical, so that's good. So, um, and then after this, you returned to Apple, I think it was about 1995, no? This was a time when... Apple was in terrible shape and, and not the Apple that we know today. So how, how did you find a company at this point? The, when, I, when I returned to Apple the second time, well, actually, that's redundant. When I returned to Apple, which would mean it's the second time, uh, Apple was supposed to die. You know, Michael Dell told Steve Jobs to give back the money and close down the company, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So my job was to help maintain the Macintosh cult that you know, they still loved Apple, they still loved Macintosh. Uh, it was a very interesting time. It was right before Steve returned to Apple. Right, right. So what what was the um, I would say like the culture like or the, you know how 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 was the how was it like to be there? Well, 
Uh, I, I listen. I've been in Apple in good times and bad times. It's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. So it's you know it it kind of regresses to the mean. I don't think people were exactly totally depressed and all that. Um, on the other hand, you know they weren't in the delusional euphoria that it is today. So uh, I, I like to you know portray myself as a person who really did a lot of major work to avert a crisis but between you and me it wasn't that hard <laughs> got it got it got it got it and and what was the experience a guy of of working with someone like Steve Jobs oh uh, he was remarkable very difficult to work for true visionary and and I use that word very carefully because I think there's only been about three visionaries in the history of American business which is Steve Jobs Walt Disney and Elon Musk So uh, all the movies and books and things, all the things you stories you heard, they're all true. Uh, and yet, I don't think any of us would trade our time uh, working at Apple for anything. Uh, it was a remarkable time, a great experience. I hope everybody gets to work for Steve Jobs once in their life. Wow. And and what what would you say made it so difficult to work with with him? Uh, because he was such a perfectionist, and you know he he. Just basically kicked ass. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, that right. was that was his shtick, and you know, uh, a lot of people like to kick ass. They just aren't visionary. Well, he's both. Yeah, and 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 in terms of like uh, being a visionary, like what made him like that great in terms of vision and 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 having having that skill. I just think that he could really. Uh, anticipate what people would come to want. Uh, it's it is remarkable that you know he he either made people want what he wanted to make, or he knew what they wanted to make. Or <laughs> let me say that he either knew what people would eventually desire, or he made whatever he wanted to make and made people desire them. But uh, he was remarkable. And and from your experience, I guess, uh, working with him as a leader, I mean, you went, uh, you know, to do your own thing, you know, later on. But I, I guess from him, what what did you learn the most? Oh, there's so many lessons. We could go on forever on this. Like, but I think chapter three. For okay. Example. So number one is your current customers can't tell you how to create a revolution. They're just going to tell you how to make better, cheaper, faster, whatever they have from you already. Uh, number two is that design counts. That you know, it's not just functionality. People care about design. Number three is you should hire people who are better than you at the job because uh, it should be a source of pride. And you look around the room, and the people you've hired are all better than you at what they do. Got it. Got it. And I mean, you've you've built companies. You've invested in in multiple folks. So. What's the um when you're looking to hire you know other people like what what kind of advice would you give to to those people that are listening? Well, that that general advice is you know hire people who are better than you, not worse than you. I mean, and people who are di different skill sets, not the same skill set, because you need people to complement you, not duplicate you. Yeah, yeah. So you left uh, you left uh, Apple in in 1997 to start Garage.com. Yes. To connect entrepreneurs with investors. And, you know, it's I found this interesting because this was way before the 
equity crowdfunding movement or funding platforms or any of that. So you're also quite a, a visionary uh, guy. So how did you come up with uh, with this concept? Uh, which concept? With this initiative of Garage.com of really connecting. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, well, I, I, one of my friends is Rich Carlgard, who is the uh, publisher of Forbes. And he came up with an idea to make web cities of the world. So, you know, a website on how to do business in New York and San Francisco and Munich and, you know, I don't know. Bogota and Tokyo. And so we were going to do this series of websites, all these cities, how to do business in each city. And then we met with a lawyer named Craig Johnson, and he had a, a different take on the idea. His idea was focus on just the fundraising for those cities. And that became Graz.com, you know, helping entrepreneurs in specific locations raise money. Got it. Got it. And this eventually ended up being Garage Technology Ventures. And yes. uh, I've seen investments that you guys have done, such as Pandora or The Motley Fool, so very, very successful companies. So how many investments has uh, has Garage Technology Ventures done? Oh, I, <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, you love count. Dozens. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, lost sure. track. I, I, I saw it a lot. I've shut my brain off about venture capital. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so in 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 this in this arena, because you've um, you've advised a ton of companies, you've seen a lot. So, what are some of the patterns that you typically recognize behind these entrepreneurs that have the potential to succeed? Well, uh, I think the richest vein for entrepreneurs that will succeed in tech are people who are creating products that they want to use. So that sounds completely counterintuitive, right? Because you're supposed to create the product that has a large and growing market. And my observation is that the great tech companies started because two guys in a garage or a guy and a gal in a garage or two gals in a garage, they created the personal computer they wanted, the website they wanted, and come to find out they're not the only two people in the world that wanted it. So uh, I think that's the richest vein. And I'm specifically telling you that the richest vein is not marketing driven where they, you know, they read some report that says, you know, IOT is going to be big. So they're going to start an IOT company, even though they could care less about IOT. Got it. Got it. And is there like, um, like a process that you've seen? Because I mean, you're, you're an expert as well in, in marketing. I mean, is there like a process to, to follow to see if that may be, if that MVP may be something that people want to use? Uh, I mean, not to put too glamorous a spin on it, but basically you ship and you pray. <laughs> <laughs> That's about I it. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know the drill. I know the drill. So, so, So talking about shipping and praying, I mean, you, you actually did that a few years after this uh, with Old Top, right? When, when he was born. So, so what was this initiative all about? The All Top initiative was to create a website where uh, we would curate all the best RSS feeds for each topic. So for cars, for photography, for food, you know, for Japan, for knitting, all that. So we, we wanted 
to make it so that people would not have to assemble their own collection of RSS feeds, basically. Got it. And and this website was had an amazing amount of traffic. Did you guys experience some type of like scaling issues or perhaps scaling things that you learned? Uh, I, I never came down to scaling. I mean that that is a high quality problem. I I wish <laughs> I could be involved with companies who can't scale fast enough. Um, that's a high quality problem. Uh, got, it. <laughs> got it. Got it. I hear you. And and then after this, you go with uh, Trumors, which uh, I believe it was it was also acquired by Now Public. But yes. what's the story behind this company? Uh, Trumors. The idea was that people. It was for it was like kind of my first idea for user generated news, where people would be able to post true rumors. So rather than wait for established press to find something, we were trying to turn everybody into a journalist. Um, and it was so-so. It didn't really take off. Got it. <laughs> and so what was the, um, because the you guys announced the, the transaction to now public. So, I mean, for example, to doing the, the M&A process, I mean, did you guys just do it yourselves? Did you have like a, like a banker or what was no, that? No, this is a small deal. So it was just uh, myself and the CEO of now public. I mean, so about this, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that are, that are listening in that, you know, perhaps they, they're looking at, at getting their company acquired or, or doing a transaction or, or mm -hmm. something like this. Uh -huh. Like what kind of advice would you give to this guy so they can get the deal done? So uh, my advice is that I think that tech companies are bought, not sold. And what that means is that you may, as the entrepreneur, you may think, oh, Apple is the perfect company to buy me or Facebook is the per perfect company to buy me. So somebody could just introduce me to Tim Cook or introduce me to Sheryl Sandberg. I can convince them why Facebook or Apple has to buy me or it'll be a tragic mistake. I, I don't think it ever works like that. So the way it works is you create a company, you're signing up people, you're kicking ass, things are going great. And one day the phone rings and it's the M&A person from Apple or the M&A person from Facebook or Google or whatever, and they say, listen, we'd like to get together and have a talk about how we can strategically work together. So your job is not to sell your company because let me tell you, Sheryl Sandberg and Tim Cook, they're getting 100 messages a day. You know, I have a shrimp farming software company built on the Macintosh platform. There are 2 million shrimp farmers in the world. It is a strategic market for Apple. So, Tim, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to enable you to buy my shrimp farming software company. That happens 200 times a day, okay? Tim Cook is not going to call you back. So... So the way it has to work is somebody says to Tim Cook, my God, these people are creating something that just fills this tremendous hole in our product offering. We've been trying to do this for five years. We haven't succeeded. You ought to just buy this company. And then somebody calls you. So your job is to make a company that the phone rings. Right. That's it. That's it. Companies are bought. They are not sold. I agree. I agree. And I think that obviously for the phone to ring, you need to make sure that you make yourself stand out so that whenever that company is making or placing a bet, you know yeah. that, that they're going to hear about you. And, and you're definitely, you definitely know how to do that. So 
So how do you do nowadays, you know, to, to really get the word out and, and, and to make a splash with your, with your company? Well, the start of getting the word out and making a splash is to have a great product, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah. easy to market something that's great. It's hard to market crap. <laughs> so, For sure. so number one is make something great. And then God's gift to all of us is social media. Um, you know, with, with particularly, I think, Facebook and LinkedIn. I mean, how much better can it get? So, so make a great product and use social media. It's kind of simple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen as well that, that you've been a chief evangelist for companies like Canva or, or yeah. Mercedes. So what does chief evangelist, uh, what does a chief evangelist yeah. do? Yeah. So evangelism comes from words meaning bring the good news. So a chief evangelist is the person who brings the good news for a product such as Macintosh or Canva. So Canva is a Sydney-based company. It does online graphics design services. So if you want to make a book cover, record cover, presentation, flyer, social media graphics, social media profile background, uh, graphics for your blog post, graphics for your website, anything like that, we make anybody into a great designer. So think of it as Photoshop for the rest of us. And about 3 million designs are created per day. And we sign up more than 100,000 new people per day. And so, you know, I'm supposed to bring the good news of that. And let me tell you, it's not hard to bring the good news of Canva because it is so great. I love it. I love it. And, and Canva, for example, they've raised over $80 million. So, and you've been involved with, with a lot of companies. So, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, how do you see those companies, like, when they have to, like, go from, like, Series A or Series B, like, the leadership skills that you see shifting on the on the founder itself, like, how do those need to shape so that they continue to push the venture forward to the successful path? Well, then, you know, at, at some point, it, it becomes all about can you build a team and can you scale, right? Uh, but But I will tell you, you know, if if things are going well, any problem can be fixed. Literally, any problem can be fixed. You can find different management. You can do this, you know, do that. If, if the dogs are eating the food, if the dogs are not eating the food, it's almost impossible to fix that problem. And so, you know, again, I just keep coming back to the key is to make a great product and get it out there. I mean, that is 99% of the battle. The other 1%, you know, all this quote-unquote strategic stuff is bullshit. It's just make a great product and sell it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the, um, you know, obviously it's great that, that you you know, like you were saying, delivering the good news is is great. But I think that especially during the early stages, the it's really tough. I mean, building a company from the ground up and the early days, you know, they're, they're and excuse my language, they're awful. I mean, they're a little bit shitty. So I think that the, uh, I mean, I've been there, I've done that. I know what it is be to be behind the trenches. So I think from from your perspective, Guy, and for the people that are listening that perhaps are, are going through these early phases, like what kind of recommendation would you give them? Well, get your prototype early, keep revising it, understand that entrepreneurship is, and is, I said again, you have to understand that entrepreneurship is a process. It's not an event. Uh, to use an athletic metaphor, it's not a sprint. It's more a marathon. And in fact, an even better analogy than marathon is that it's a, it's a decathlon. 
uh, you have to do 10 things well at once. Uh, it's not just doing one short thing, you know, running for 100 meters as fast as you can. Got it. Got it. And, and if you had the um, opportunity, Guy, to, to go to the past and give yourself advice before you launched, let's say, your, your first company that we were talking about, what would that advice be and why? My advice would be stay at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> because i quit apple twice right. and i turned down steve for a third job and if i had not done any of those three things well i wouldn't be on the phone with you right now because i would be in tahiti but uh, <laughs> you know i mean who knew that apple would become a trillion dollar company but not yeah. me man let me tell you <laughs> yeah and and what what was that third job out of curiosity uh, it was to run Apple University, their internal training program for uh, new employees. Got it. Got it. And, and why well, did you turn it down? I don't know. Stupid. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I didn't want to work for Steve again because I wanted to create my own company. I mean, who the hell knows? Eh? I yeah. try to block out those bad memories. Uh, I hear you. And from, from, <laughs> your, from your initiatives, Guy, launching companies i mean is there like one single lesson that that if you had to start a company all over again you would be like absolutely describe it top of mind uh, uh, so one lesson for launching a company the top lesson um Well, uh, several things. So one is focus on the prototype, that the purpose of a company is to create customers. It's not to make a pitch and raise money. I think many entrepreneurs, they lose sight of the fact that, you know, it's about making a product and making a customer. It's not about raising money. Purpose of a company is not to raise money. So it's right. to focus on that prototype, build the prototype that you would want to use Hope that you're not the only person in the world who wants to use it. And, and I wish I could tell you that it's it's magic and, and, you know, I just gave you the keys to the kingdom. Uh, it's not true. It's very hard. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it takes. And it, it, there's a great deal of luck involved. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, as they say, luck is a... Preparation meets opportunity, right? Yeah. So, uh, for sure. Yeah. And and how do you see a guy a marketing a evolving and, and changing, you know, from now, you know, to the next couple of years? Because content, for example, has really taken over. I don't think that advertising, you know, it's, a, it's as appealing as, as it used to be. So so how do you see it evolving? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about uh, social media, uh, providing value via social media so you earn the right to promote your your book your 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 software your website i'm all i'm a believer in facebook the targeting of facebook uh, i realize there's some controversy with some other things facebook does but you know i don't know a better way to target a market than facebook and so between social media and and content which is a form of social media right you're you're providing great content so that people believe you when they tell when you tell them to buy their product so uh, I've never been a big, you know, spend $5 million on advertising because I've never had a $5 million budget. So if, if you had a $5 million budget, uh, 
I'm not your person. Of course, if you have a $5 million budget, you probably not listen to this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> well, you never know. You never you know. Never you never know. know, you never know. I, don't, I don't mean to insult your audience, but, you know, let's face it. This is about scrappy entrepreneurs, right? It's not about Fortune 500 CMOs. Right, right. Absolutely. And and for on the on the side of um, of writing a book, I mean, you've you've written, you know, like you were saying, 15 and, and today you're launching your new one. I actually meet with with quite a bunch of, of founders that are looking at, you know, becoming a thought leader and, and putting a book out there and, yeah, and yeah. educating people. So what kind of advice would you give to someone that is thinking about publishing their first book? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. What's the serious that? Well, if you are a CEO and you're saying, I'm thinking of writing a book, something is wrong because you should not have time to write a book Got it. because this, being a CEO is a 150% job. Now you're telling me you have time to write a book. I know what it takes to write a book. Okay. You cannot write a book and be a CEO. You just cannot be done. So now you might say, well, I'm going to use a ghostwriter. Well, then my problem is first of all, first a ghostwriter still takes up bandwidth. You have to meet with the ghostwriter, but also then the book is not truly yours. You're basically, you know, spouting off some of your thoughts and somebody else is really crafting it. And, and I believe that writing a book is an art. So I don't think Picasso said, well, you know, I have this idea for this woman's face and it's going to have a triangle and it's going to be black and white here and color in there. So will you go now and execute that? So, you know, Picasso, Michelangelo, the reason why they're artists is because they did it, not because they thought about it and had, you know, a ghost artist do it. So, so that's one. It's just a time constraint. And the second thing is that the, the concept that, ah, oh, I'm going to establish my personal brand and be a thought leader and blah, 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 is also bullshit. So, you know, Steve, you think Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, think they ever sat around and said, geez, how can I position myself as a visionary and thought leader? Maybe I should introduce a computer with a graphic user interface, or maybe I should introduce an electric car. That, that wasn't going through their brain. They were trying to change the world by electrifying cars or bringing personal computers or bringing smartphones to market. They weren't sitting around saying, how can I make people think I'm a visionary? Because if you truly are a visionary, you don't need to spend time thinking about how to make people believe you are a visionary. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, so guy, what is the best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi? Uh, probably on LinkedIn. And I'm a brave guy. I'll tell you my email is guykawasaki at Gmail. So just my name at Gmail. Got it. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you the subject line that will guarantee that I read your email. You ready? Do it. The subject line should say, I loved your latest book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If well, you guys, say that, if you say that in your subject line, I guarantee you I will read the thing. Oh my god. How many emails do you receive a day just out of curiosity? Uh, a few hundred. Oh my god, that's so stressful. All righty. Well, guy, it has been an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you you take care, okay? You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.